Good morning. Here in the real world, there are not always equal outcomes, are there? One person does something and has great success and popularity and freedom, and then somebody else does basically the same thing, if not exactly the same thing, and suffers greatly because of it. I wonder if there's anybody in this room who has not experienced a situation like this. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you've seen it. You've faced it. We've all been part of these scenarios where it's okay for somebody who isn't religious to do something, but for you as a Christian, it is categorically not okay to do basically the same thing. For example, you'd like to hang up a poster for an upcoming church event on a bulletin board at work, but it's against company policy to advertise church-related functions. Your coworker, on the other hand, prints out flyers advertising her latest pyramid scheme, walks around the office distributing them to each and every team member, and your company leadership says more power to her. That kind of stuff uh, happens all the time, and it happens on a, march, a much larger scale as well. Entire nations discriminate against and persecute Christians. But we can all identify as individuals with this firsthand personal discrimination. It's, it's frustrating. It's certainly not fair, and sometimes it might even cause us to ask why. Why does it feel like the world is set against us? Why am I doing this? Is it, is it, is it worth it, right, to put myself through this? And sometimes we feel like we can't get anywhere. Sometimes we feel like it's hopeless. Today, I want to encourage you to fight that fight. I want to show you why it's nowhere close to hopeless. I want to show you that you're not alone. I want to show you that there's actually a lot to be excited about. And I want you to realize that for the church, the best is always yet to come. Today's message is called Firefight. And we're going to see that even when we face the fiery furnace of the world, the Lord will be with us as we're living faithfully for him. He will protect us. He will deliver us. And he will prove his power to the world around us. We've been working our way through Daniel chapter 3, haven't we? Well, today we're going to finish Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30 as we do that. Now, in the first 18 verses that we've already looked at, we saw Nebuchadnezzar um, have this, this golden image built, right? He commissioned this 60 cubit tall by 6 cubits wide golden image to be built. And he invited a bunch of powerful, influential people to come to the dedication ceremony of that image. And when those people showed up, he told them through his herald, the king's herald told everyone that they must fall down and worship that golden image. And if they didn't, they would face the fire. They would be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And so, sadly, though unsurprisingly, what did the crowd do? They did exactly as they were told. They bowed down. They worshiped the golden image. Except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These young Jewish men did not bow down. And some Chaldeans, certain Chaldeans, the scripture says, noticed this and brought charges against them. And as a result of those charges, we saw last week the king gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego one more chance to fall down and worship like they had been commanded. But if they didn't, they would be thrown into the fire. He reiterated that and he said, what God is there who can deliver you from my hand, right? Well, they clearly and confidently Refuse. They told Nebuchadnezzar that the God whom they serve is able to deliver them from the furnace of blazing fire. But they further explained to the king that even if God chose not to deliver them, it wasn't going to change the fact that they were not going to serve his gods and they were not going to bow down to that golden image. 
That brings us to verse 19, which says, Then Nebuchadnezzar filled with wrath, and his facial expression, or then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, of course, there was no way for them to accurately determine how hot um, seven times hotter would be. That's not even what they were saying. They were saying like we would say, I'll make it 10 times hotter. Or if you don't do this, I'm going to make it 100 times worse for you. And that's what they were doing here. Verse 20 says, he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now this gives us some indication as to how angry Nebuchadnezzar really was. They didn't even bother to remove their outer garments like they typically would. Nebuchadnezzar wanted these guys tied up and thrown into the fire fast. Now, unfortunately for our heroes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, unfortunately for them, this clothing would have only served as more fuel for the fire. This would have been a worse way to go. Verse 22 says, For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. So, because the king was so upset with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the intensity of the furnace was increased to the point that these valiant warriors who were tasked with tying them up and throwing them into the furnace, these guys themselves, the warriors, were overtaken by what must have been massive, wildly leaping flames. But that didn't save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We saw that in the scriptures, didn't we? They still fell, it says. They still fell into the furnace, tied up with all those clothes on. Now, what I really want us to focus on this morning is what happens next. Look at verse 24 and following. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the most high God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of the fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or tongue, that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as their god, inasmuch in, in as, in as much as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon.
Okay. So you want to know why you should be motivated to face the world's furnace. You want to know why it's worth it. You want to know why it's not as bad and scary as you might think it is. Well, the details of this event that we just read will show us, can show us if we'll look. First of all, when the world threatens to tie us up and rush us off to the fiery furnace, the Lord will be with us. The Lord will be with us. And Nebuchadnezzar was the first to recognize that uh, there were four men in this fire. He was the, f- the first to acknowledge that there was a fourth man in the fire. Those valiant warriors who were, who were uh, tasked with tying up and escorting uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace, they were out of the picture, right? They had been uh, killed by the flames. But Nebuchadnezzar saw four men in the flames, unbound, walking around. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego plus one. And I want you to notice that this plus one appeared to Nebuchadnezzar like a son of the gods. Now this doesn't say that it was the son of God, but to Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, it appeared to him like a son of the gods. In other words, what we know at a minimum is that this fourth person in the fire had a unique, noteworthy appearance. And Nebuchadnezzar makes note of that for us. And so whether it was the Lord in some pre-incarnate form or perhaps more likely an angel of the Lord sent for this special task, regardless, we could rightly say that the Lord was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was there for them in their time of need as they were facing this fiery ordeal. And if we look at Scripture as a whole... You know, this is just business as usual for the Lord. It wasn't just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's opinion that perhaps the Lord might be with them through this. They didn't have some sort of arbitrary faith that their God would see them through this ordeal. Now, they may not have known precisely how God would handle their situation, but they knew the Lord whom they serve was with them. After all, how could they miss it? God has repeated himself over and over and over again on this particular matter. He he doesn't want us to miss this. He wants to make sure we don't miss this. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6, the scripture says, The Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, it says, The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Isaiah 41 verse 10, the scripture says, Do not fear, for I am with you. In Zephaniah 3.17, the scripture says, The Lord your God is in your midst. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews 13, 5, scripture says, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Church, we don't have to wonder if the Lord is with us or not. He has made it clear throughout the generations of history, he has always gone alongside his faithful ones. And am I the only one who feels 100% more confident when somebody else goes with me. I think many of us understand, we we know what that's like. I hate doing things or going places alone. Having someone with you is a game changer. Now imagine it's God with you. Imagine it's God with you, because it is. But he's not just there, he's not just with us. When the world threatens to tie us up and rush us off into the fiery furnace, the Lord will protect us. The Lord will protect us. Notice in our text that these four men who Nebuchadnezzar saw in the fire, they were walking around. That's significant. These guys weren't trying to escape the flames, right? Apparently it wasn't burning them. Apparently it wasn't painful like we could safely assume it should have been. What does that mean? That means the Lord was protecting them. 
They weren't feeling the intense, unbearable heat of the blazing fire that Nebuchadnezzar had turned up hotter than it had ever been before. In fact, we learn from verse 27 that the fire had no effect on their bodies. It didn't singe the hair on their heads. It didn't damage their clothes. These guys didn't even smell like smoke. You guys, I smell like smoke after I try to start a fire in our fire pit on the patio, right? Uh, uh, please understand that the emphasis rests heavily on the word try in that sentence. There are many times that I can't even get a fire going, but I smell like I've been inside the fire. In all seriousness though, there is a reason the scripture shares these details with us so that we know that this was a miracle. But you know what's more important than a miracle? The reason God chooses to perform a miracle. And in this case, it's the fact that the Lord was protecting those who faithfully served him. God wanted to protect his faithful servants, and so he performed a miracle. He intervened and protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from these flames. And the Lord will protect us too. We have assurance that he will protect us from our greatest danger. We have assurance that God will protect us from our greatest danger. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. From the evil one. You guys, even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that the Lord may not shelter them from, from every circumstance in this life. He may not shelter them from this fire, from this furnace, from this consequence of not bowing down to the golden image. But if we are faithful to him, we know that he's faithful to us and he will protect us from the evil one. That's the devil, right? If we are faithful, if it is our desire to remain connected to the Lord, God will not allow the devil to snatch us out of his hand. The devil is our Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's angry and he wants to see us tied up and thrown into the eternal fire. But God promises to protect his faithful ones from that fire. It, it is so good to know that we aren't facing the fiery trials of this life alone. The Lord is with us. But more than that, we have the promise of eternal protection. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the world threatens to tie us up and rush us off to the fiery furnace, the Lord will deliver us. He'll deliver us. Even the old pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, recognized that the Lord was responsible for delivering these men. And we can understand this from what he said in verses 25 and 26. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, put together the fact that he saw a unique being in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and then as he was calling them out of the fire, he referred to them as servants of the Most High God. He saw this, this unique being. King Nebuchadnezzar recognized that whoever or whatever this was in the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this could only be the work of the Most High God delivering these young Jewish men. And so in verse 28, we hear the king praising God for this miracle of deliverance and acknowledging quite accurately that the recipients of God's deliverance in this case were those who, number one, put their faith, put their, put their trust in God. Number two, violated the king's command, didn't bow down to golden images. And number three, yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except the one true God. And in this acknowledgement, in this recognition by Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28, whether the king realized it or not, he was pronouncing the very reasons why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been delivered. And in the same way, we can ensure deliverance from God. 
as in the case with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, deliverance is promised to those who truly put their trust in the Lord and live a life completely loyal to Him, being faithful until death. When we surrender ourselves to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can know that we will be delivered. Now, passages like 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where, where it says that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, th- those passages like that tell us that God will deliver us from circumstances in this life even. That can happen. But do you remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told the king about the Lord's deliverance? They said he is able, but even if he does not, right? In this scenario right here, you're threatening to throw us in the fire. The Lord is able to deliver us from that. But even if he does not, they still wouldn't bow down to other gods or worship the golden image. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why would they refuse worshiping other gods even if their God wouldn't deliver them from this particular situation? Well, the answer is because they knew the assurance of ultimate, eternal deliverance if they were faithful to him. Praise God, our, our ultimate goal is our most assured promise. You hear that? Our ultimate goal is our most assured promise. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John wrote, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, what was John referring to when he says, These things I have written to you? Well, John writes these words after explaining in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 and following, that the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The one who believes the testimony of the Spirit over the testimony of men. And in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, John says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Then... John shares those most assuring words in verse 13. These things I have written to you. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Church, we don't have to wonder. There's nothing blind about our faith. There's nothing uncertain about our salvation as those who are faithful to him through the fiery trials of this life Our deliverance is definite. So we know that the Lord is with us. We know that he protects us. We understand that he will deliver us. And one last very important thing. When the world threatens to tie us up and rush us off to the fiery furnace, the Lord will prove his power to others. The Lord will prove his power to others. In verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar recognized the unique power at work here. In verse 26, he acknowledged Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's service to the Most High God. Remember, he was recognizing the fact that this Most High God was responsible for doing precisely what he said in verse 15 would not and could not even happen, right? Who, what God is there who can snatch you from, from my hand? What, what God is there who can deliver you from my hand, he said in verse 15. He was recognizing now power that he previously claimed was impossible, And it wasn't only Nebuchadnezzar seeing the power of God, but specifically the satraps, the prefects, governors, and the king's high officials were told were gathered around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They saw this this miraculous power 
power of God's deliverance. Verse 27 tells us, they were all gathered around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they saw that there were no burns on their bodies. They saw there were no singed hairs. They saw there was no damage whatsoever to their clothing. And again, not even the smell of fire was on them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith was literally tried by fire, and their faithfulness bore witness to God's power. Witnesses that, that were there, that they couldn't unsee this. They couldn't miss it. God's power was proven to the world around them. We see a similar situation unfold in the New Testament when Peter and John were arrested for preaching the resurrection in Christ. They were made to stand before the council and they stood proudly and proclaimed with boldness to these religious leaders in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Listen now to the response and specifically to the recognition that took place in the following verse. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having come, as having, I'm sorry, as having been with Jesus. You see, it wasn't Peter and John it wasn't their confidence alone in and of itself. It wasn't their education or their training. The impressive nature of the situation pointed to Jesus and his power. The fact that they had obviously been with Jesus was what was so amazing to them. It, guys, even this council of religious elites recognized God's power among these men. They said it, that it couldn't be their own power. It couldn't be their education or their formal training. It was the power of the Lord. What do you truly believe would happen if you and I actually did what Peter and John did, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, what do you truly believe would happen if we stood up boldly against the, the lies of the world system? What do you truly believe would happen if we mustered up the courage to share the unique love of Christ with our neighbors, our friends, and our families? What do you truly believe would happen if this church invested everything we had in becoming a city on a hill? a light to the world. What do you truly believe would happen if we presented our bodies, each of us, as living and holy sacrifices before God, no longer conformed to this world, but constantly being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God? Church, I know what would happen. We don't have to wonder. Through our faithfulness, the Lord's power would be proven to others. People couldn't miss it. They would see it. They would recognize it. And yes, while many of them would suppress the truth in unrighteousness, some precious souls would completely abandon their former way of life and become obedient to Christ, entering into the joy of his salvation. That reason alone makes it worth going through anything this world might throw at us. There's just a little bit more to share here, though. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Life got a little bit better after all this. The king made this decree that anybody who spoke badly about God would suffer. They would be torn limb from limb and their houses would be reduced to a rubbish heap. Now, I think all of us here are mature enough to understand that having our president or some other world power try to legislate respect for God is ultimately ineffective. That honor and respect for God has to come as a result of, of a, a change in people's hearts. And you and I, partnered with God, are the ones who, who can be a part of making that change happen. But I want you to notice verse 30. Then the king caused Shadrach, 
Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. To have a wicked king of a wicked nation ease the burden of a captive foreigner is good. But do you want to know what's way better? One day, as those who have been delivered by the one true king, King Jesus, having trusted in him, having stood up against the wicked decrees of powerful people, aka not bowing down to golden images, and having yielded our bodies so as not to serve or worship any other God except him, we will prosper. We will prosper eternally. We will prosper at home with our king. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Church, keep the faith. God alone is worthy of worship. It's going to be uncomfortable forsaking all that the world is worshiping. But the Lord is always with us and it is worth it.